Hello, folks. This is Rico, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi Podcast 534, March 15th, 2015. Yeah, it was, uh, what was it, Pi Day yesterday, 31415, blah, 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 whatever it is after that. Ask Sheldon on uh, Big Bang Theory <laughs> to continue for you. Today, we're going to do something, uh, I guess, different. I, I, I guess I've probably done this before, I think. I don't know if I've devoted actually a whole podcast to an author, although it won't obviously be the entire podcast, but a good portion of it. Perhaps uh, we'll continue to do this. We'll see what people think. But it's been uh, suggested on the uh, Trex and Sci-Fi forum. Uh, some people were throwing out some ideas for shows, and they started to throw out some book authors, or at least people who are primarily book authors. And I've always been a huge fan of this author, so I decided to start with this one. Harlan Ellison, who is this, uh, uh, you know, he's a living legend. He, you know, he's still still around and kicking. He's, uh, I think, 80 years old now. And, of course, he's very famous for writing one of probably the best Star Trek episodes ever, my favorite, City on the Edge of Forever from the original series. And he's just done a ton of stuff. I'll obviously be talking about that on the podcast, so we won't go into a lot of detail. I'm going to try to play some clips of him talking, too, but... Uh, He's he's just a great guy. He doesn't doesn't uh, pull any punches. He's he says it like it is. At least for him, from his point of view, and I've always appreciated his uh, you know the fact that he sticks to his guns and has his own his own integrity and his own way of uh, you know living. And he, he just is is just a great crazy guy. <laughs> he's really he's always been like this. Uh, you know, every interview from back in the '60s and '70s that I that I've seen on YouTube of him and and interviews up until today. So uh, so that'll be uh, what the main show is going to be about. We'll, of course, cover some latest news, TV, movies, things like that. So uh, anyhow, uh, let's do this. I'm Captain Kirk. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present the winners of the 74th Annual Hunger Games. We are the men in black. I'm the doctor, by the way. What's your name? Rose. Nice to meet you, Rose. Run for your life. My name is Optimus Prime. I am the Futus of War. Resistance is futile. Straight flows from the force, but beware of the dark side. Oh. 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 Iron Man, that's kind of catchy. It's got a nice ring to it. I mean, it's not technically accurate. This is a gold titanium alloy. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. This is a reach call. You're listening to Treks and Sci-Fi. Well, okay, let's uh, get going. I didn't know how I was going to say that. Okay, or, well, let's get going. Ah, whatever. As uh, I say almost all the time, always a trick to get started on these. It's fairly, eh, it's not super early Sunday morning. I guess it's 9, 9.15 here in Michigan. The weather has gotten better. Here's your weather report. We are finally uh, above freezing for a little while now, the last week or so. 
Uh, got probably most of the snow, well, a good portion of the snow is melted away, which is great. Hopefully that's that. I mean, you know, I'm sure we'll probably get maybe another little blast of something here or there. Probably nothing significant. Hopefully. Uh, it looks like the next week or so we're mostly above freezing for the day, so that is good. Um, so we're all still, I know, a little saddened for the passing of Leonard Nimoy. Two weeks ago, I did that special show about Leonard and uh, kind of a tribute thing. Uh, I really, it, it was it was helpful to do that. I really liked doing it, and I think uh, everyone seemed to like it and appreciate it, so that's always good to hear. I want to thank also Mark uh, for doing that uh, classic sci-fi film last week, Earth versus the Flying Saucers. Uh, those are always a lot of fun to listen to. Appreciate that, Mark. Uh, Mark, doesn't he have like the greatest voice for for radio, podcasting, audio, and, and you know he's just got a great voice. So thanks again for that, Mark. Looking forward to the next one. So what's been going on? What else in the world of sci-fi? We also lost uh, Harv Bennett. Harv was a uh, uh, mostly known as being a producer, executive producer. He did a lot of TV. He was instrumental and, and very important to the Star Trek films, especially from Wrath of Khan onward uh, for the original crew. Uh, he, he was involved in those, even had a little small part, uh, uh, acting part in Star Trek V. He's the admiral that talks to Kirk uh, on the uh, view screen. And near the beginning of the movie after they come back from the little camping trip. So uh, it's, uh, you know, another loss in the Star Trek world. It's, uh, you know, there's, you know, time passes. A lot of these guys are, uh, have been around a long, long time. So, uh, you know, we'll, of course, miss them greatly. And it's, um, you know, interesting times. I mean, we've got uh, even some of the, you know, uh, other people from even Next Gen, you know, Patrick Stewart, I think, I think Jen and Angela mentioned this a while ago, or somebody I heard talking about it. You know, he's uh, he's getting up there in age too. Although he seems to, you know, take good care of himself, which is great. You know, I think that's uh, that's obviously helpful. But uh, you know, time goes on. Harrison Ford, of course, I'm mentioning that because of the Star Wars films that are coming and the fact that he had that plane crash about a week ago. The guy's like 72 years old, but you know, also another guy that seems to be in great shape still. You know, he had that foot ankle injury or whatever on the set of uh episode seven now he just was in a plane crash but man he just keeps going so hopefully he'll be all completely recovered soon be working on uh episode eight right uh which has been announced to be coming out in may let me get this right i think it's may is it 26th i think so uh of uh 2017 which I think it was Kenny that pointed it out that I saw first, which I don't know why it just didn't didn't register with me, but it'll be basically almost 40 years to the day plus a day from the time the original uh, first Star Wars movie came out in 1977 when episode eight comes out. So we'll have episode seven this December, and about a year and a half later, we will have the uh, the next one, which is which is very cool. So. Uh, they're going to really get these out quickly, and I think probably what will happen is probably the last of this trilogy, episode nine, right? That's seven, eight, nine, right? Yes. <laughs> well, most likely, I would think would come out two years after the the 2017 one, so 2019 of May, probably. I would think. So we've got a lot of Star Wars. Also, 
they announced um, this uh, solo film coming out, and not about Han Solo, but I but a separate like a one-shot movie they plan on doing these in between so i think that's what that's coming out then in 2016 is that correct i'll have to look up the date at my break here uh when that is it's with that felicity jones yeah that's her name uh she is starring in this movie it's called rogue one i've heard reports and rumors i don't know if it's true or rumors or if they've got any real uh, concrete uh uh like storyline or information out much on the movie yet but i was hearing things that it was either this movie or some some one-shot movie from star wars was going to be about the uh trying to get the plans to the death star i was going to sort of focus on that adventure i'm not sure if that's this maybe they've announced it i don't know maybe i haven't paid enough attention (laughs) a lot going on been busy with work lots of things so hard to keep up with all this stuff these days but yeah i i it's going to be fun. I mean, gosh, we're going to be probably be getting now a Star Wars film every year uh, for, you know, the foreseeable future. It seems like that's going to uh, be the case, and, and that's going to be very, very cool to uh, be able to see that. And in a couple of weeks, I'm going to do a video cast related to movies where I'm going to sort of just kind of go over and highlight and preview the summer films. I've done that a few times before. And that should be fun. I always like watching the previews, getting excited. They just released, uh, what was it, just this past week or the week before this one? I think it was just the week before this one. So a week week and a half or so ago, they released another Avengers trailer, Age of Ultron Avengers, or Age of Ultron, Avengers Age of Ultron, right? That's what it is with a subtitle. And some new stuff in there, not a whole bunch of new things, a few little tidbits of stuff, little things that you're starting to pick up on. I'm not, you know, I, I never consider trailers really spoilers because it's officially released information and, and video and clips and things from the movie makers. So, and and I know some people don't even try to watch those, but uh, I'll mention, I, I thought it was interesting. You know, they've kind of been hinting at this romance of some kind between um, Banner and uh, the Black Widow, right? Um the uh, Scarlett Johansson and uh, Mark Ruffalo's characters in the film. And you remember in the first Avengers movie, she's the one that went off and kind of recruited him into the fold for the Avengers. So I like that just because it's like you got this big hulking brute that he turns into and you've got the little, probably, you know, ostensibly the, you know, one of the lesser powered, you know, the only real, uh, you know, well, besides Hawkeye's human, they're both human, uh, with this woman who's, you know, Scarlett Johansson, for one thing, is a pretty small uh, person. You know, what is she, five foot or five two, something like that. And then you got the Hulk, you know. <laughs> and then there was the scene also where the Hulk was chasing her. Remember that? So uh, looking forward to it, of course. That's at the beginning of May. And we'll be covering all the upcoming movies on that podcast or video cast in a couple of weeks. So let's see what else we want to cover. I guess we could talk a little bit about TV, what's been going on there. There's been a little bit of a, a lull. A few things have, have finished up. Uh, I actually already uh, Sleepy Hollow, which is a cool show. That finished its run for the year. Uh, I've been watching and enjoying Walking Dead, of course, still. Uh, really been a great season for that show. We have Game of Thrones coming back in a couple of weeks. Well, a little more than a couple of weeks, I guess, April, right? So uh, three weeks maybe about for that. Uh, I also, I don't know if I talked a lot about the last probably big movie that I went out to see was the Kingsman movie 
a few weeks ago. I guess I think I mentioned that. I don't know. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was a good movie. That was when I was in my little run of doing pretty much a movie every weekend. I kind of got out of that habit, although I, Lynn and I might go see that Cinderella movie this weekend uh, sometime if we get a chance tonight or something. But uh, what else? So TV, yeah, Big Bang Theory still good. Grimm's not on. It's coming back this Friday. I still enjoy the originals and Vampire Diaries. Oh, by the way, if, if um, people listening are fans of Farscape, uh, I just saw and noticed that uh, Claudia Black, who is Aaron's son on Farscape, is going to have a part. I'm not so sure how many episodes she's going to be in, but uh, she's playing a character called Dahlia on the originals, which is the other CW vampire show that airs on Monday nights. I think the first appearance of her will be this uh, tomorrow, this Monday. So uh, that should be interesting. I'm, not, again, not sure how many episodes she's going to be in. Uh, maybe not a big uh, role or a big big amount of episodes, but it'll be good to see her again. I haven't seen her in a few things, you know, really much since Stargate ended. So I'd uh, love to see her do another franchise of some kind, another movie or, or TV show would be would be very cool to uh, to see that. Uh, what else? Still enjoying Person of Interest. Not completely really a sci-fi show about the kind of supercomputer thing, but that is a, is a fun show always to uh, to check out. I think that's about it, I think. Uh, well, I guess I could uh, mention a few other little smaller things on TV. I'm still enjoying and watching uh, the 12 Monkeys TV show. I don't think I've talked much about it. Of course, it's sort of based on, I don't know, the movie. Was there a book? I don't know. Uh, and I saw the movie quite a while ago. It's not super fresh in my mind. I kind of remember it, the basics of it. But this TV show is much more, obviously, involved and, and detailed. And I think it's been really good. I, I've been enjoying it. I think we're up to about... I'm a couple episodes behind. Maybe there's been eight episodes now that have been uh, shown. That's on the Sci-Fi Channel on Friday nights. Not a really super great time slot. I hardly ever watch it live. Um, the <laughs> I don't watch a lot of TV live. I watch it on my TiVo so I can skip the commercials. And uh, Speaking of that, we're going to have uh, Flash is going to be back finally this week. I think is Arrow back this week as well or next week? I'm not sure on that. But it's, he's back. That's back pretty soon. So those will be good. And this week's Flash looks amazing. I, I just I can't say enough good things about that show. I think it's a show that a lot of people could probably enjoy and watch without being big fans of superhero stuff. It's just a lot of fun, and it, it's it's got some great actors, great uh, stories, and it's just it's just a fun show. And and I've said it many times there aren't really a lot of fun, you know, there's drama and there's, you know, peril and stuff happens and it's not all like puppies and rainbows, but it's just got a sort of a lightheartedness that I really, really, really appreciate. Uh, I like Arrow. It's a darker show and and I still enjoy that stuff, but, uh, but they really did the right thing with, uh, with this character in this show. They just, for a first season, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing of how good it, that it started and come out of the uh, come out of the gate that great. So uh, again, check that show out. Absolutely, check it out uh, when you get a chance. So um, I think I'll take a break. I'll come back talk a little bit about other some other Trek stories and news, and then we'll get into talking about Harlan Ellison, which is going to be a mega mega big topic. But I'll do the best I can. Imagine yourself strolling the streets of Coruscant. 
leading a squadron of elite X-Wing pilots, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Dark Lord of the Sith. You can. All you have to do is crack open a book and listen to the Star Wars Stacks podcast and book club. Each month, your hosts Joe, Chris, and Jen take you on a guided tour of the expanded universe. The hosts begin the reviews with a non-spoiler synopsis and analysis to help you decide whether it's worth a read before sounding a spoiler alert and delving into the story in great detail. Subscribe to the show via iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Find the Star Wars Stacks on Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads, and SWStacksShow.com, the Star Wars Stacks podcast and book club. It's fun. It's immersive. It's Star Wars. All right, a little quick follow-up to my uh, conversation there, what I was talking about Rogue One with uh, Felicity Jones. Looks like the way they're doing is having that shoot this coming summer and then coming out in December 16th, 2016. So pretty cool. We're going to have a movie, uh, Star Wars Episode Seven this December. We're going to then have Rogue One a year later and a half a year beyond Rogue One. And in the summer of 2017, we're going to have the... Uh, is that, am I doing the math there right? <laughs> yeah. So we'll have, uh, yeah, we'll have a, uh, this December, a one-year wait, Rogue One, and then only a half-year wait uh, to Episode Eight. Wow. Okay. Pretty crazy. Uh, pretty cool uh, to have uh, all that Star Wars. It's, it's, when you think about it, besides like some of the, you know, we've done it, we've had Clone Wars animated series, we've had comic books and, and novels, of course, over the all the years. But gosh, I mean, you know, there's only really the six main movies. And for a long time, there was only really three movies. So, you know, to, to pour out in, in the next couple of years here, three, four, five, six movies in Star Wars, we're going to double, you know, in the next five years or so. Again, I'm probably missing a year there or so. But we're going we're gonna to double the film output or the double the film content that's out in Star Wars that took you know, f whatever, 40 years to do in, in five years. We're going to, we're going to have, it, 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 think about that a little bit. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> it's, and I, I listened to um, Arnie and Marjorie uh, on Star Wars Action News, and, and Arnie's been talking about this for a little while now, since Disney kind of took over and announced new films and stuff. He's, he's mentioned, and these, they're both, you know, Arnie especially, of course, is a huge Star Wars uh, fan and collector. You know, he collects just tons and tons of stuff. So, you know, he's got, you know, I know they've moved a couple of times. they got a bigger house now. But the point being is he's kind of been a little, uh, I don't know if I'd say concerned, but he has uh, realized and understood that in a short period of time, there's going to be just a ton of new Star Wars merchandise that's not even related at all to the films uh, and TV and things that we already know about. You know they're just they're just gonna like double everything, and it's in Disney being the the caretakers and owners of all this now are gonna market the heck out of it. So it, it's just gonna be everywhere. I'm kind of frankly kind of glad in a way. You know, years ago I collected more action figures, and I still do a little bit here and there. It's very very sporadic and not a lot. I've I've collected some of the new six inch Star Wars figures. But I tend to buy more of the the bigger premium type things now, statues and and nicer prop replicas, that kind of stuff. 
uh, studio scale ships that, you know, so not as much as all this little, you know, a $5 or $10 action figure, $5. You can't buy a $5 action figure anymore, really, can you? So I'm kind of glad that I've kind of got out of that a bit because it's just, it's just going to be insane is to say the least. So, but it's also fun. It's also cool. So, uh, again, cool stuff coming in the star Wars world. And I hope everybody will be enjoying it. I was talking to a guy at the comic book shop the other day because I picked up, uh, the third issue in the star Wars comic series, which I'm, I'm a little mixed on still, uh, without giving out any spoilers, you know, this is set between episode, uh, I was going to say episode one and two, no, between the first film and the second film, between Star Wars, the original Star Wars A New Hope, and Empire Strikes Back. But they're doing things in the comic that really they shouldn't be messing with. Like, I, you know, I guess it's a little comic book spoiler, but it's not a big thing. But they kind of have a little bit of a meeting already of Luke and Vader. And, and that just shouldn't be happening yet. Uh, uh, Vader doesn't quite know exactly who he is. But it doesn't take a genius to figure it out. So it's, I don't know. I'm going to keep reading the comic for a little bit. We'll see how it goes. Uh, they've also got a Darth Vader book out. Uh, two issues of that now. And they just started a Princess Leia comic. And they're going to do a, uh, I think, a Rebels book or something. or And it may be related to Kanan uh, from the TV show. The 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 Jedi that's kind of hiding out and, and the one that's on that show voiced by Freddie Prinz Jr., husband of Sarah Michelle Geller, just for the uh, Star Wars Stacks folks listening. Yes, they are husband and wife. <laughs> That's for you, Chris. Anyway, um, so let's get off Star Wars for a minute, though. Let's talk a little bit more about Trek and related to the comic world. Uh, if, you, if you like Trek and you like comics, or even if you don't, I, I really urge you to pick up the uh, some of the latest issues of the Trek, the main Trek comic. I think just... I just read actually last night issue 43. This has been a really turned into a really good book. Uh, there was uh, there were some times, I guess it was early on in the comic where they they kind of did retread stories of original series things in the new sort of JJ Trek verse, but they've gone beyond that now. They just did a good run where Q was around. Uh, now they are, and, and and that I guess you could consider, it wasn't really a retread, but they're using things from other Trek there and from TNG and so forth. But now they're doing some completely new and unique stories, and I, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, the art is good. The stories are good. They're, they're multi-part things. The last one I think lasted for two or three issues. They've just started a new arc for three issues where... Um, the Enterprise is actually through something that happened at the end of the last arc, got thrown across the galaxy. And this will sound like a retread, I guess, in a way. But they've been thrown across the galaxy into um, the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> sound familiar? Yeah. Uh, but uh, but that's not really the point. Uh, they do it differently, and then they run into this alien. And I won't say too much, but it's great stories, uh, good art. Uh, check it out if you want more Star Trek while we wait and wait and wait for uh, the next film, which is supposed to be starting to film finally this summer, early summer, and gonna still they're still targeting a release uh, in July, I believe it's July of 2016, right? Get the years right here. So only a year away, a little more than a year away uh, from when they film it, which will be a little bit tricky. So we'll see how that works out, see if they have to push that back or not. Um, 
And what are are we safe in the twenty uh, the summer of twenty sixteen for for no Star Wars movie? We are, I think. It'll be Rogue One that fall. Yeah, so so hopefully they'll hit that twenty sixteen date. I still kind of think in my head that if they were going to delay it a little bit, they could delay it till the fall, till September of twenty sixteen, which will be the official fiftieth anniversary of the start of TOS, you know, on television and from nineteen sixty six. So. That might be kind of slick and, and neat, and and I think fall is not a bad time to release a, a movie like this. So, who knows? We'll see what happens. Uh, I've mentioned a few other Trek things already. Comics. There's a couple of other comic things going on. They're doing a crossover with Planet of the Apes, which has been fun. It involves the Klingons. Also, it also involves Taylor from the original Apes film, and and uh, so check that out. Some cool art there too. There is there have been this this ongoing thing called Star Trek New Visions in comics, uh, which is a they take images from the original series and a few other places, and they create new stories out of those. I've read some of them. They're pretty they're pretty cool. They're a little it's a little awkward if you know the original series real well. You see these images and they put different word balloons around it and. They do a pretty good job with that, and they also figure out ways to sort of insert new things, too, as well. Uh, but it's a unique concept. It's more of a photo novel book, you know, where you have these uh, photograph-type stuff with, with word balloons, like I said. It's not drawn exactly like a, a normal comic, but you could check that out uh, if you get a chance. What else do we have uh, comic book-wise going? Uh so there, there, yeah, there's about three Trek books right now at the comic shop. Uh, what? Uh, let's see. Uh, the Star Trek continues, folks. Uh, yeah, they finished uh, successfully a great Kickstarter campaign. Uh, they've, uh, they're going to be doing some new episodes. We're going to get one of those. I think the first one's going to be out early this summer. Also, oh, another Star Trek fan film project. Uh, worked on by some non, you know, fans and pros like Tim Russ, especially Tuvok, and uh, also Walter Koenig is involved in it. Uh, called Star Trek Renegades, they just released some clips that they blended it into a music video that should be available for the public. I think now to see. I got it a little early since I was a backer for their project. Uh, that uh, is online now, and you can check that out uh, when you get a chance. Just go over to their group on youtube or facebook star trek renegade just search for that and you'll find it okay i gotta take a break and come back and talk about the the amazing harlan ellison the author so first we'll go through some background history on him as a as a person as a person and then uh, talk about some of his many works and try to play a few clips from uh from some interviews and things of him online hi this is uh, Admiral Adama. My name is Robert J. Sawyer. This is Cena Grace. Hey, this is Stephen Amell. Hey, this is Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. I'm hanging with Sean and Bridget. They're telling all about general geekery. And you are listening to the Rusted Robot Podcast. The number one rated robot-related podcast. Northern Ontario. You should be following them on Twitter. Keep listening. Don't forget to follow them on Twitter. Subscribe on iTunes. TheRustedRobot.Podbean.com The Rusted Robot Podcast. Think about it. Rusted Robot. Okay, I'm back. I've got my green tea, my Arizona green tea. My son, my older son's actually out in uh, Arizona right now in the Phoenix area. So uh, I know he doesn't really listen to the podcast. I think he has a couple of times. Okay, 
Harlan Ellison. Uh, Harlan Ellison is just um, a legend. Uh, there are people here who are probably listening to the podcast that uh, know him, I, I guess, mainly from Star Trek, from doing City on the Edge of Forever. I'm hoping that uh, quite a few of you that are listening right now know him from other things, that have read some of his books, his short stories. He's really a master short storyteller, in my opinion. That That is really what he does and excels at best. He's also really a great um, talker, a, a great... I've seen him speak at conventions a few times. He, he's very, very lively and vibrant, and he, again... If you ask the guy a question, though, be prepared because he'll go at you a little bit if you, if you ask a stupid question. He's not afraid to tell somebody, well, that's a stupid question. He, he again, does not, he, he does not have a filter. He does not pull any punches at all. So, I, again, I kind of admire that. I think he's a little, I think it's a little overboard. I frankly think it's, um, I think at times he's, he, he does it to get a rise out of people, but I think he wants to get a rise. I, I think that's just truly what he what he does. So let me go back uh, a little bit and just give you some background on, on, on this guy and where he came from a little bit. Uh, I'm going to read some of this stuff kind of word for word off of Wikipedia. It's simpler and easier that way. Uh, so here we go. So Harlan J. Ellison, that's his real name, Harlan Ellison, Harlan J. Ellison, was born on May 27, 1934. So he's 80 years old now. He'll be 81 in May of this year. He was born in Cleveland, Ohio, so not too far. He's a Midwest guy like me, uh, not too far away from where I live. Uh, and he's an author, a screenwriter, an essayist. He's got various other pen names. Uh, where he's written works or had works that were twisted or changed on him that he added a different name, like Cord Cordwaner Bird is a, is a famous one of his. He's very notable for, for working on short stories. He's got over probably, let's see, what are the number here? They've got over 1,700 short stories, novellas, screenplays, comic book scripts, teleplays, essays, on a wide range of topics, uh, and he, he, he's, a, he's got a critical eye. He's, he's written a lot of essays and critical reviews about uh, other media things like movies and television, so he's very involved in, in media in general. He's an editor or was an editor and anthologist for, for a couple of different very famous anthologies of science fiction, which are fantastic which he pulls together a lot of different science fiction authors for these collections, Dangerous Visions, and there's a follow-up, again, Dangerous Visions. I think he was talking about there was going to be a final one, too, at some point. He's won numerous awards, Hugos, Nebulas, Edgars, just, uh, again, uh, an amazing career even up until this point. And the guy is not retired. I mean, he continues to work, continues to write. One of the greatest things I, I find about uh, the fact that... Um, authors seem to be able to continue to work and to write really much longer than like you know actors will tend to fade away a little bit it's time certain ones a lot of them will uh, other people that that do things entertainers uh, but but book writers just can you know they can just keep going uh, although he did Harlan did suffer a stroke uh, in the fall of this is just this past year like in October I haven't heard a lot of detail. I guess he's doing okay. Uh, I think it left. He had a little paralysis for. I'm not sure if he still has that. I, again, I don't. The details are sketchy about how his status is. I mean, I know he's still with us. I, I think he's still. 
I think the guy's just got so much will to live and willpower. I, I think he, he'll be around still for a while. But um, let me go through some of this early life and career section here that they've got on uh, Wikipedia. So he was born in Cleveland, Ohio. He uh, was, was uh, his father was a dentist and a jeweler. He's a, from a Jewish family. Uh, they uh, moved to Painesville, Ohio, but then later went to Cleveland after his father passed away uh, when he was fairly young, probably about 15, it looks like. He, uh, Harlan, in his younger days, he frequently ran away from home. He take to, uh, took just a, a, a variety of odd jobs until 18. He was a a tuna fisherman, a crop picker, a hired gun <laughs> for a wealthy neurotic. I don't even know what that means. He drove a nitroglycerin truck for a little while, uh, a short order cook, a cab driver, a book salesman, a department store guy, a, a door-to-door salesman. So, so he did all kinds of crazy things, which I think gave him a lot of his world experience that he uses in his books and his stories uh, to great, uh, uh, you know, great effect. Uh, he went to Ohio State University. Uh, he was only there for about 18 months, and then he got expelled. <laughs> I guess the, the story is, is he got expelled, expelled for uh, hitting a professor. He punched a professor who basically had uh, knocked and denigrated his writing ability. And uh, this is this is Harlan to a T. And I, I have just a tiny bit, believe it or not, maybe because I am always such a nice guy on the podcast, right? But I have just a tiny bit of Harlan Ellison in me. And so this is something that, that I, I really like that I uh, heard about him. But I guess this pref- professor that, that knocked his writing ability, that, that said it wasn't good. So for the next 20-some years after ha- Harlan got pushed out of and expelled out of Ohio State, uh, he sent the professor for 20 years a copy of every story, everything that got published by him. So just to show him, like, look, dude, I, I know how to write because people are buying it. You know, people are paying me to write. So um, he had some short stories in the Cleveland News. He sold some stories early to, to various comic uh, places like EC Comics. He moved to New York City in 50, 1955 to pursue a writing career, mainly in science fiction. But that's uh, uh, the unique thing about uh, Harlan is that I, I think he typically thinks of himself as a fiction writer or just a writer uh, of speculative fiction. It's not uh, most of his science fiction or most of his stories that have this speculative bent to them. They're not really what I would typically associate with a, tr- a kind of a classic sci-fi story. They're much more fantasy and they make you think. They're kind of Twilight Zone. If you think of the Twilight, the old Twilight Zone show or The Outer Limits, which Harlan worked on, uh, they're that kind of a style of story where it's about, a lot of times it's about ordinary people and something kind of odd happens to them is is kind of the best way I can sum it up a little bit. He was married uh, for a short time uh, to a woman named Charlotte Stein and, and he married her in 56. They divorced only like four years later. Uh so that uh, that didn't work out. He he's been married, I think, like uh, three or four times. Let's see. Uh, I could go through all that at this point, I guess. Uh, somebody named Billy Joyce Saunders from sixty to sixty three. Uh, somebody named Loretta Patrick from sixty six uh, for a very short time, I guess. Uh, and then Lori Horowitz from seventy six to seventy seven. And his current wife, who he's been married to for quite a long time now, from 1986, Susan Toth. 
Uh, so, uh, you know, he had a lot of wives and, and women around for, uh, I always thought of Harlan Ellison as like the Hugh Hefner of, of writers, just because in the 60s and 70s, he just, he's, he's seemed to be quite the ladies' man. Um, let's see, what else? See, he was in the army. He was drafted in the army from 56, or sorry, from 57 to 59. Uh, got back in 1960, went to New York. He moved to Chicago for a time in there. Uh, working with uh, various uh, authors and writers, Kurt Vonnegut, Robert Block, Philip Jose Farmer. Uh, so, so it's you know again he uh, he wrote some uh, he wrote some adult fiction, erotic stories for a period of time for some girl mag girly magazines. Uh, in let's see, uh, I'm trying to find what this. Let's see. Oh, he used the his Cordwainer Bird uh, first his pseudonym. In July of in August of '57, they had accepted a couple of his stories, but uh, he he didn't like the way they edited them a little bit. Which which is, you know, Harlan will go after you if you mess with his work, his mess with his stories. You know, the the famous, of course, Star Trek reference is uh, Gene Roddenberry and other people working on Star Trek at the time took Harlan's story for a Star Trek episode, City on the Edge of Forever, and they changed quite a bit of it. And, he, you know, he never really liked that. And I'll, I'll talk more about that here as we go with the podcast a little bit further on. But, um, but yeah, so he, he'll, uh, you know, he's, he's created many lawsuits over the years. And, and he is no, he will not, uh, if you mess with him, it, you know, be careful because <laughs> it's, uh, you're, you're really, uh, you got to be careful because Harlan will not just sit back and take it. He will, he will do something about it. I mean, he sued uh, James Cameron because he's written stories, and they had a, a, a episode of Twilight, or sorry, not Twilight Zone, uh, Outer Limits called Soldier, uh, where he basically thought the Terminator series and the concept for it were taken from what he's written uh, for uh, this story and what they used on the Outer Limits. So again, uh, Harlan, not a guy that. Um, that lets you mess with what he writes. Uh, he'll work with you a little bit. And another series that he worked on quite a bit was Babylon 5. Uh, Dave should be here to talk about that. Uh, but he was involved quite a bit in that uh, program. So, again, just some great stuff uh, to uh, to read, to watch. Uh, one of the one of, A really cool movie, an older movie, uh, that is, is about, adapted, excuse me, the blah, blah, blah. <laughs> It's adapted from a Harlan Ellison story. Uh, this is the movie's called "The Boy and His Dog." It's from the late. Uh, let's see. Actually, the I don't know when the story was written, uh, but the movie was from. Let's see. It came out in 1975. Uh, it stars Don Johnson, you know, of Miami Vice times or fames. Although he doesn't doesn't quite look exactly like he does in Miami Vice, uh, but you'll notice his voice and and he, and he looks similar, but. It, it's basically about a. Uh, it's exactly what it sounds like a boy and his dog, except it's sort of in a post-apocalyptic world, kind of Mad Max-like a little bit. But there is a dog uh, that uh, forms a relationship and a friendship and a bond with this guy, who uh, the dog is is like telepathic, so they they can hear each other's thoughts. They can communicate telepathically. It's a very cool movie, very cool story. So uh, I wanted to point that out. Uh, so what else should we talk about at this stage? Uh, 
he, you know, we went to Hollywood in the in the early '60s to basically start working on a lot of uh, scripts for TV shows, and not just sci-fi or fantasy type things, but he worked on shows like The Flying Nun, Burke's Law, Route 66, uh, The Man from Uncle, of course, Outer Limits, Star Trek, uh, Cimarron Strip, The Alfred Hitchcock Hour, lots of screenplays and stories for television. You know, he really thought that uh, I think TV was going to be the way things were going to go. Uh, you can write books, you can write uh, stories for books and, and magazines, but I think he also, Harlan's always been a pretty shrewd businessman. He's got, you know, he he likes being paid for his work. He doesn't just do it for the, you know, for the fun of it or whatever. And I think he realized that Hollywood and movies and television, you can make a lot of money. You can make a heck of a lot of money, you know, selling a, a TV script to a popular show versus maybe selling a story, a short story to a magazine. So that, I think, again, is, is something that he realized. He's lived out there since that time. He lives out, I think, in the Hollywood Hills, something around there. I've, th I've seen a couple of interviews with him at his house over the years, and they've gone sometimes outside, and I think he's pointed to... Uh, you know, there down there is Hollywood or whatever. So he, you know, somewhere out there he lives and uh, has a has really an amazing collection of just uh, books, of course, and, and, and memorabilia in, in his home. Very, I'd, I'd love to be able to, you know, knock on his door one day and visit his house just because he's, he, it looks like, uh, it looks like my kind of place, basically. <laughs> he just has a, has a fun place there that he lives in and works in. He his famous. I don't know if he still does this or not. But one of the things when, when computers really started to take over, and everybody was all the writers were working on keyboards and 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 regular you know computers. Harlan Ellison for for years I think after that still he still uh, typed out his stuff on a regular typewriter you know keys and ink and all. Uh, I remember there have been lots of times over the years back in the day. I don't think he does this so much anymore, but. He would set up his typewriter in, um, gosh, I think he even came to, to the Michigan State University one time when I was there as a student. And he'd put he'd bring his typewriter and he'd do a little talk and he'd go to like a bookstore near near campus. And he would just plunk down at a table and, and just write stories there and talk to people. It was very cool. And he's, you know, he's that kind of guy. He puts himself out there. He does a lot of speaking at conventions, speaking at colleges. He's, he's somebody, I think, that uh, even though he comes off as kind of like grumpy old guy and maybe hating people a little bit, I think he truly likes people and likes to try to make them better uh, for themselves or in spite of themselves. He also is famous for using a, a very large ranging vocabulary. Practically every time I've ever heard Harlan talk, he'll use a word or two and he's not afraid of, of bad language, and I'm trying carefully because I know a lot of different kinds of ages and people listen to the podcast. But I'm going to play some clips from him here, uh, and I'll be careful and try to listen to it and make sure that you know he'll he'll use he'll drop the f bomb the you know he'll drop he'll drop lots of uh, lots of words when he's talking, but he also drops words in them. I, I was going to say that uh, he'll use words that I've never heard of before, and I consider myself you know a pretty big reader pretty good you know have a has a i have a pretty good vocabulary and I, i've learned uh, i'll give you an i'll give you an example uh, i heard harlan talk one time this was a long time ago 20 years ago maybe or something and he used the word paucity 
he, he and and I I'm trying to remember the the context or the sentence or how he used the word paucity in a, in a, in a and I said paucity paucity what what the heck does that mean? So uh, I and I looked it up. You know I, I I found out you know paucity basically means like if, if somebody has a oh how how's the best way to put it I I I have a paucity of of green socks or something like that. Paucity just means just very few, very little or very few, something like that. So if you have a paucity of something, you have very, very little or very few of them or of whatever it is. Or, And he, and I think he was using it in terms of like um, uh, personality traits, something like uh, this person has a paucity of intelligence, you know, like basically this is a dumb person. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, again, I, every time I've just about heard him talk, he'll throw in a word that I'm like, what, what, what's that word mean? <laughs> and he does it in a way, I don't think he's using these words because he's just like trying to show off how smart and his wide vocabulary, and he is a writer. So, I mean, the guy should know you know, a lot of words that people probably don't commonly use, but he'll use them in, it just seems like that he's not using the word just to use the word. He's using it because he feels that fits best. And, and a writer does that constantly, right? When they're writing stuff, they are rejiggering and changing what they write to make the best story possible. So uh, uh, let me take, let me rest my voice here for a second or two, and let me play uh, a, a clip that I, uh, I'm going to play two or three things uh, from YouTube, but here's the first one with Harlan Ellison talking, and again, I'll, uh, he's again, he's a little rough, a little cantankerous, but uh, you know, he's Harlan, so that's, that's who he is. So listen to this, and I'll be back. My name is Harlan Ellison, that's H-A-R-L-A-N. I'm a writer. Call me a science fiction writer and I'll come to your house and I'll nail your pet's head to a coffee table. I'll hit you so hard your ancestors will die. I'll hit you so hard your grandmother will bleed. I'm a writer. There's no adjective in front of it. I'm just a writer. Now here I am sitting on the Sci-Fi channel. I really love that title, Sci-Fi. It sounds like the sound of crickets. I've been asked to do the commentary. I've been asked to uplift in this corner. and. Uh, Usually when you get a commentator, you don't know where they come from, what they stand for. But if you recall the beginning of uh, Citizen Kane, Orson Welles as Charles Foster Kane, standing there writing against the window as the, as the gaslight dies and the sun comes up, writing the declaration of principles of his new newspaper, what it will stand for, what it will tell you, what kind of bravery it will have. Well, I'm, I'm going to give you that so that you'll know who I am and what I stand for. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of the opposite of somebody like, say, Rush Limbaugh, who in my perception has a brain that has turned a puree of bat guano, uh, or the various other talk show hosts who don't really tell you what they stand for. My opinions are mine own. They don't reflect the show. They don't reflect the network. Let me tell you that I will not lie to you. At least I will try not to lie to you. Now, if I do and I don't know that I did it and you correct me, I'm going to let you know that you told me I lied and I'll stand corrected. If I do it on purpose to lie to you and you catch me at it, I will try to convince you that I did it for your own good or possibly for national security. That one seems to have worked for a great many people. Now, if that doesn't work, I'll probably whimper and throw myself on your mercy. I'm nobody's hero. I'm as often wrong as I am right. But I work hard at what I do, and I really believe there are some people who are better than others. Yes, folks, I'm an elitist. 
<laughs> yes, I know you could. On television, they will not hurt you if you say, you know, God picks his nose and eats it, or if you want to overthrow violently the United States government, or you say McDonald's makes toad burgers. But heaven forbid you should say that there are some people who are better than others. But in fact, it's true. Jackie Robinson, better. Eve Curie, better. Albert Einstein, you can't convince me that Albert Einstein wasn't faster, better, quicker, smarter, and one hell of a switch hitter at either side of the plate than anybody around him at the time. I believe that we are destined for something great. I believe that when we are at our best, when we try to paint the Sistine Chapel ceiling, when we walk on the moon, then we are our most godlike. To quote from Tyler de Jardin, the great philosopher, theologian, humanist, and good Christian, the task assigned to us is to climb toward the light. That's what I will try to do in these commentaries. I will try to turn you on to things you need to be turned on to. I will shivvy and harass you, and I dearly hope I will insult you. Now, they only got me for 26 weeks, so I'll probably be gone as soon as I insult the wrong people. While you got me for 26 weeks, enjoy. And, and, and if I insult you, it's, it's probably because you deserved it. That name was Harlan Ellison. Well, that gives you a little bit of feel for uh, Harlan Ellison. <laughs> He's, a, like I said, not a science fiction writer, just a writer, right? He is, is, is quite a guy. The, just uh, that uh, clip there I wanted to mention... If you go to his uh, YouTube channel, uh, Harlan Ellison, just search for him on YouTube, he has a channel there. He did this series of uh, commentaries for the Sci-Fi channel uh, uh, that was part of, the, I think, the Sci-Fi Buzz show back in the late, I guess, 90s is when it aired, around the mid-90s, early 90s, something like that. Uh, it was a cool little half-hour show, but he did this thing called Harlan Ellison's Watching, or Harlan Ellison Watching. And it was about a you know three minute or so little commentary thing that uh, it was it was probably not every episode of that show. I think he did a maybe about 60, 70 of them or so. He was on for more than the twenty six weeks I think or whatever it is that he said there. But I always had interesting things to talk about. Very smart uh, guy, obviously, and I enjoyed that. Uh, I missed that show. I, I wish that Sci Fi would do another kind of news show. You know, Will Wheaton tried to do sort of something last. Uh, summertime. It was sort of more comedic. Uh, I, I, I liked it, but it, it wasn't uh, really wasn't like sci-fi buzz. I'd love to see them do something like that again. And he was part of that. And, and Harlan doesn't just get part of, you know, anything, you know, he'll, he, he's, he's picky about what he gets, uh, uh, what he works on. So uh, Harlan, you know, obviously a writer, uh, just a, a really interesting guy to to read about and learn about uh he's he's had a lot of controversy of course over his life he's kind of abrasive argumentative that he he completely you know he's fine with that uh there's uh uh one of the dust jackets from one of his books that describes him as possibly being the most contentious person on earth he's filed a lot of grievances lawsuits over the years he's you know he really uh there's a story that he he sent a uh, 200 over 200 bricks to a publisher postage due uh, it's just he's just crazy and uh, he also you know he has this sort of nature to him that he doesn't let go you know if somebody irritates him uh, he'll irritate him back so he's uh, he's certainly somebody who you know that churn the other cheek um, you know people say oh you should turn the other cheek or let it go or, or the, uh, the the Frozen song, Let It Go. Harlan Ellison is not that person by any means. 
And again, I kind of respect him and admire him for that. I think, again, sometimes I think it's a little overboard. I think that um, I think he's frankly a little crazy at times. And and uh, I, I you, you you know you wonder you wonder why somebody who gets this upset continues to 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 do what he does. But there's something about him that that like he says he he tries to make people better. You know, I think he really tries to inspire and make people question things, make people think, make people uh, uh, just have their own minds. He he has this famous phrase that I took to using a long time ago too. He he says everybody says you're everybody's entitled to their own opinion, and he he would he would correct that phrase. He would say no, that's not. I don't believe that. I don't think that's true. You, you you're not really entitled to your to your own opinion if you don't know what you're talking about or don't have any kind of information on it, right? I mean, it makes no sense. It would be like saying a, a doctor comes in and says, "Hey, you should have this surgery," and somebody just somebody comes in who has no medical background and says, "Well, I don't think you need the surgery. You're fine." Well, Harlan will say that you everyone's entitled to their own their informed opinion, which basically he means you need to know what the bleep you're talking about. You know, you need to, to have some context. You need to know what you're talking about to have an opinion that really makes a difference or counts. Now, there's all kinds of times where that's not really true, but you get what he's saying. He's basically saying, you know, do the work, do do the homework, learn what you're talking about before you just shoot your mouth off. And Harlan will, like he said, I think in that clip, you know, if he's wrong and somebody calls him on it and they, they give him information that makes sense and corrects him he'll admit it he'll be cool with that but you know he will he will question and 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 he will commentary uh, his way to to learn the truth basically he's really all about the truth so uh i thought i guess i i have to mention the whole star trek controversy here a little bit with uh what happened with city on the edge of forever and a lot of people know this kind of story i thought i would just briefly mention it um he of course wrote the original script uh, Gene Roddenberry and, and several others. This is detailed pretty well in, in several books you can get. Uh, These Are the Voyages talks about it. There's a book that, that Harlan did uh, and that talk about this whole situation. But basically, the writers changed things around. There were some things in the story that they didn't feel were appropriate for Star Trek. One of them was the uh, one of the main characters, not one of the main normal characters on the show, but someone else. Uh, was basically running drugs, drug dealing aboard the Enterprise. And Gene Roddenberry and others said, well, that's that can't happen. That shouldn't happen. There aren't going to be drug dealers in the 23rd century on the Enterprise. <laughs> this is an elite crew. That won't happen. And Harlan you know, said, well, geez, you know, people are people. There's always going to be somebody who's looking for something or an edge. But um, So that was one little piece of it. The other one was um, the guy that goes through the portal in the episode is not one of the main characters. So they wanted to change that around, have it be McCoy, which I think works in a way, makes more sense and is better. And I understand from a show standpoint why they would do that, not just bring in some redshirt guy and have him be the the protagonist of the episode. And there's other little details. If you really want to know the differences are, there's a fantastic, uh, and I'll try to link it in the notes for this week for the podcast notes, but there's a fantastic uh, comic book miniseries that they did. I think it was six issues or five, five or six issues total. 
and it's collected in a, in a hardcover now. You can get it on Amazon. I think it's like not even $20, $15 maybe, something like that. I collected all the individual issues. I'll probably buy the trade pack, trade paperback or trade hardcover also. Uh, but just search for Harlan Ellison comic, uh, City on the Edge Forever. I'll link it to I know you can find it on Amazon. I think it just got published in February because the episodes or the uh, episodes, the comic and individual comics finished at the end of the year last year, maybe November or so. So that's a great way to look at the story uh, from Harlan's viewpoint, the way he did the story. That is the City on the Edge Forever from his original story and treatment for it. Interesting, though, he did not remove his name from the credits or from the Star Trek episode. And the thing, of course, won awards. Uh, you know, they it won a, a Hugo Award for the year for Best Dramatic Presentation. Uh, it also, I believe it won a Writer's Guild. Yeah, Writer's Guild Award as well. So even though they changed his story... Um, they, you know, he's still, it still won a lot of awards. And it's, again, it's still my favorite episode. I think, honestly, from what I've read over the years, I understand why he's not happy and why I was upset about this. You know, I, I think that people who, you know, an artist who does a painting or an artist who writes a story, but st stories and scripts for television, I think that it, it's, it, they've always been more of a collaborative effort. Harlan always resisted that as much as possible. You know, he wanted to give a script in, and they, he wanted them to do it exactly as he uh, as he wrote it. So um, he is also sued Paramount. He, he sued CBS Paramount Television, and he wanted 25% uh, of all the receipts of merchandising, publishing, and income from City on the Edge of Forever from 1967. Uh, and then I guess uh, they did reach a settlement. This happened only back in around 2009. Uh, keep in mind that back in the 60s when TV and movies were done, no one had this idea that these these shows would, would later find life on home video and DVDs and VHS when it was around and Blu-ray and, and again and again and streaming video and Netflix. No one had a clue. So contracts were not written with residuals like that in mind. Uh, the famous story about Star Trek, the original series, are not really a famous. Uh, it's just um, the facts is the fact that even all the people, the main actors and things on the show, they got little residual checks for a very short time when uh, the original series was rerun. But there were limits put on those contracts from what I've heard and read over the years that basically after the thing was rerun like 10 times, I don't know what the number was, 10 times, 20 times, whatever, but it happened quickly. They got a little bit of money, and then after that, they got nothing. Zippo. And I don't know, I've never really dug into and followed enough to know that, you know, if uh, if any of the other actors have ever tried to sue for more money or anything like that over the years to find out if they could get something more from Paramount. But Harlan did for City on the Edge of Forever and got some money out of him. And he's sued other things. He sued ABC, Paramount, James Cameron. Uh, he, he, he sued people for online posting of his material. Uh, just if he finds out about something, if he finds out that you've infringed on his work, he will, he will go after you. So, uh, again, that's, uh, that's the way he is. And, I, again, I kind of respect it. I, I, think the, I think his thinking is that if you let people get away with stuff, they'll just continue to to do that and do what they do. So, uh, again, an amazing guy. His stories are fantastic. I, I, I have a, a great hardcover book. 
I have a lot of Harlan Ellison books on my shelf, but uh, quite a few paperbacks. But I got this cool hardcover. Oh, a while back. I'm sure you can, maybe you can still find it. I don't know, actually. I'll have to look that up on Amazon, but it's called The Essential Ellison. It's a real fat hardcover book, and it's just got a, uh, just a big chock full of short stories and, and uh, works by Harlan. Uh, really great stuff. And the, and the cool thing, the thing that I love about short stories, I mean, I read a lot of books, a lot of novels, uh, but the neat thing about short stories, and I read a lot of comic books as well, is they're kind of like a comic in a way that, you know, here's 20, 30 pages or whatever, a short story, and bang, you're done. And then you get to read another one that's completely different. And uh, I, 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 I'm very impressed by that because each time, you know, you write that, you're, you're creating a new set of circumstances, a new environment, a new world, a new set of characters rather than writing a novel and I admire that too, but you write a novel and it's like you're writing, you know, several hundred pages about the same characters and story and everything, right? But a short story has a whole different kind of tone and kind of objective to it that I, I really enjoy. And I, I've always thought that if I ever was going to be a writer, that I would like to be a short story writer more than a novel writer, because I, I think I I tend to, my mind tends to bounce around between a lot of different things. And I think I'd be better to sit down and write for a few days or a week or two or even a month, a short story, and then move on to a different short story. I always have lots of different little ideas, and I, I think that would be a fun way to write, uh, more so maybe than novel writing. But that's just me. So uh, let me play another clip for you. I think this is related to writing and getting paid for it. Uh, Harlan is, is a very big proponent about not doing anything for free. So uh, so listen to this. Get a call yesterday from uh, a little film company down here in the valley and they're doing the packaging for um, uh, for MGM on uh, not MGM for Warner Brothers on Babylon 5 which I worked on and I did a very long very interesting uh, on-camera interview about the making of Babylon 5 early on when Joe Straczynski hired me and they want to use it a young woman calls me and she says so we'd like to use it on the DVD uh, can that be arranged and I said absolutely all you gotta do is pay me and she said what I said you gotta pay me she said well Everybody else is just, you know, doing it for nothing. I said, everybody else may be an asshole, but I'm not. I said, by what right would you call me and ask me to work for nothing? Do you get a paycheck? Well, yes. I says, does your boss get a paycheck? Do you, tell, do you pay the telecine guy? Do you pay the cameraman? Do you pay the cutters? Do you pay the, 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 the Teamsters when they schlep the, your stuff on the trucks? Then how don't you pay you as, how would you go to a gas station and ask them to give you free gas? Would you go to the doctor and have them take out your spleen for nothing? How dare you? Call me and want me to work for anything. Well, it would be good publicity. I said, lady, tell that to someone a little older than you who has just fallen off the turnip truck. There is no publicity value in my essay, my interview, being on your DVD. If you sell 2,000 of them, it'll be great. And what are people going to say? Ooh, I really like the way that guy gave that interview. I wonder if he's ever written a book. Let me go and buy it. There's no publicity value. The only value for me is if you put money in my hand. Cross my palm with silver. You can use my essay. You can use my, uh, my, my interview. And she says, well, all right, thank you. And she hangs up. I'll never hear from them. They want everything for nothing. They wouldn't go for five seconds without being paid. And they'll bitch about how much they're paid and want more. I should do a freebie for Warner Brothers? What is Warner Brothers out you know, with an eye patch and a tin cup on the street? Fuck no. They always want the writer to work for nothing. And the problem is that there's a goddamn many writers who have no idea that they're supposed to be paid every time they do something. They do it for nothing. Good, good, they're going to look at me. I'm going to be noticed. <laughs> well, you tell me, are they any less the media whore than I? 
I think not. They just haven't, nobody's offered to buy their soul. Uh, I sell my soul, but at the highest rates. The highest rates. I don't take a piss without getting paid for it. I get so angry about this because you're undercut by all the amateurs. It's the amateurs who make it tough for the professionals. Because when you act professional, these people are so used to getting it for nothing and for mooching and for being able to pass off this bullshit. I mean, they don't even send you a copy of the DVD. You know, you have to call them and say, where's the DVD? Well, it's been out for six months. You know, we'd have, you could go to the store and buy it. You could go to the store and buy it. You go to the store and buy it. You send me the goddamn DVD now or I'm going to come down to your, come down to your office and I'm going to burn it to the ground. How about that? Well, you don't have to get mean about it. Yeah, I do have to get mean about it. Six months since the damn thing came out. Yep, that's Harlan Ellison to a T. <laughs> that, um, I wanted to mention, I, I should have by now at this point, but uh, that uh, interview there, that little clip is from, there's a, a great documentary about Harlan. Um, it's called Dreams with Sharp Teeth. Yeah, I think that's the name. Uh, I think it's, I don't think it's on Netflix. I think you can see it on, get it on Amazon. You might have to pay for it. I watched it a couple of years ago. It, I think it aired somewhere online or uh, not online, but on TV, maybe on the sci-fi channel or something or the other. But uh, it's it's really good. If you're a fan, uh, if you know Harlan Ellison, or maybe if you're not a huge fan, but I've interested you more in him from doing this podcast, uh, I would urge you to check it out. It's it's really cool stuff. Uh, there's um little you know lots of little clips it's it's again language filled uh he doesn't pull any punches obviously like i've said many times here uh let me just just quickly briefly go down just a lot of his um you know some of his short story collections let's see uh a touch of affinity the deadly street sex gang children in the streets gentleman junkie and other stories of the hung up generation ellis in wonderland Pain God and other delusions. I have no mouth and I must scream. I have no mouth and I must scream. I might play a little bit of that. Uh, he reads that in three parts. You can see that on in, on YouTube. It also was turned into a computer game uh, quite a while back, uh, back when they used to put computer games out on, on, on disc and CD-ROM, I think. So 10 years ago at least or more, maybe 15. Maybe it's a 90s game. I don't know. Um, but, uh, where's Joe when you need him? Anyway, uh, let's see from the land of fear, love ain't nothing but sex misspelled. The beast that shouted love at the heart of the world over the edge partners in wonder approaching oblivion. Deathbird stories. Deathbird stories is a cool book. Uh, strange wine is good. No doors, no window. Shatterday, a really good book, uh, from 1980 stalking the nightmare, angry candy, minefield, sippage, sorry, slippage, troublemakers, pulling a train. This is again, these are just collections of his short stories. Uh, like I said, I have The Essential Ellison. Uh, that uh, it was a 35-year retrospective from 1985 when that came out. Uh, Dreams with Sharp Teeth, like I mentioned, that's from uh, 1991. Uh, Boy and His Dog, I already mentioned. He worked on a show called The Star Lost. Uh, obviously, he worked on Outer Limits, Star Trek, uh, He's also written, he has a lot of essays that he writes over the years. If you're interested in that kind of stuff, uh, things like uh, Memos from Purgatory, The Glass Teat, which is pretty cool. The Glass Teat is about um, essays on, and his opinions on TV, which for a guy that basically, you know, he has a love-hate relationship with television. You know, he wrote a lot of stories or a lot of, wrote a lot of scripts for TV, but he thinks a lot of TV is crap, which is true. Although I believe I, I'd love to see a more recent discussion or comment from him about it because i think tv these days 
has has improved greatly frankly there the the level the quality of the storytelling the acting the production values i mean there's some great stuff on television and i'd i'd fight Har- harlan ellison on that one because uh, i've watched tv for a long time and i think it's i think it's gotten better actually there's still junk of course too Harlan Ellison's Watching, which we've talked about, the Harlan Ellison Hornbook, uh, iRobot, uh, just, just, I could just, again, I could probably go on for hours and hours on Harlan Ellison and what, uh, you know, what he's got, uh, you know, out there. It, it's just, I, I, you could start today, and if it's all you ever read, you'd never still probably be able to read everything he's done. Uh, but pick up, you know, I urge, really urge you guys, uh, to pick up a, a short story collection of his uh, and and just give it a shot. Read a few short stories, and I'm telling you, this guy, there's nobody who has the kind of crazy imagination uh, that is writing today or maybe ever will write uh, as Harlan Ellison. I, I, I just, I was always amazed, and I'd pick up a, a new short story collection of his, and I'd read the stories and of how different they were from each other and how just really would blow your mind, frankly. Uh, some stuff, some stuff really is, is, I don't know. I, I don't, it's, it's hard to describe. Some of the stories are just fantastic. I mean, I would love, uh, someone, another, like if they did a new, like they've tried and, uh, they've done Outer Limits again, a more modern version of it. They've done Twilight Zone again, but I would love to see them, somebody create a show just called, you know, Adapted tales from beyond or something let's call it that and then just to take you know some of various harlan ellison stories other people who've written short stories and speculative fiction we'll call it uh and and just do some of this stuff because there's just it, it we talk on the forum we talk on the facebook group a lot about you know that no one hollywood doesn't have any new ideas there's just books filled with great ideas of course you you make sure make sure you pay harlan appropriately for it but if you want to use one of his stories of course but there's just so much stuff out there that has never been touched uh, it, it's just a, it's just a shame in a way sometimes that we just get some some stuff that we get that is just not either uh that uh original or it's just another and i'm i'm guilty of this i don't mind going to see i do it i I talk about it on the podcast i go see a another transformers movie but then again i go see something else that uh is different and unique as well like that movie last fall interstellar i mean there are some things there that have been done before but it was a you know a new idea and a new way of doing it and i and i loved it i thought it was great so it's um it's a balance so Harlan Ellison, again, so hard to talk about for for an hour-ish on a podcast. Well, less than an hour probably because I talked about some other stuff early on. What I thought I would end with um, for today is play for you and record it here. Uh, the first part of Harlan reading his uh, short story, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. This is basically was turned into a, a video game. It is the story of some people that have been sort of trapped inside a computer. I don't even know how to describe it, but it's but it's really good. You can uh, listen to him t- tell the, I think, all three parts. It's broken up into three parts. I think the first part is even 14 minutes or so long. So, But I thought I would tack it on to the end of the podcast here. You guys can decide, <clears throat> excuse me, if you want to listen or not, uh, that's up to you. You know, I think you should listen, and and it should entice you. I think to to finish the story, 
and also to maybe seek out other work uh, by Harlan Ellison. So I hope this has been interesting for you. I won't be back after the clip. I'll just finish things off now for today's podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, check out our Facebook group, Trucks and Sci-Fi. Also, the, the forum, treksandsci-fi.com uh, slash forum, or just go to the link there for forum. If you want to join that, just send me an email. TrekSF at gmail.com is always good for that. Uh, PayPal donations, always grateful and happy to see those. Uh, help pay for the uh, hosting fees and daily, and we, sorry, not daily, uh, monthly hosting that I pay. So um, that's about it. Next week, uh, you will have a special show by Meds here who's going to talk about the Helen Slater 19, is it 84, I think? 84, 85? 84 Supergirl movie, and that'll be appropriate because they're going to do a new Supergirl TV series starting, I think, this fall on CBS, right? So that'll be here next week from Meds, and I'll be back in two weeks with a vidcast on the upcoming summer movie season. So hope this has been enjoyable. I've, I've had a good time doing it. Uh, I love Harlan Ellison. Uh, I, I am going to go crack open one of his uh, short story books and read some stuff here uh, later on today, I think, tonight, uh, just because I'm all pumped up now to read some Harlan. It's been a little while since I've picked up one of his books. I mean, I have quite a few that I've read completely through, but uh, I, I, the Essential Ellison book is so big, I've not read the whole thing at all. I've picked and choose between, you know, oh, I'll read that story and I'll read that story and stuff, so... Uh, so check it out. Check out Harlan Ellison. I, I guarantee you, you, you will learn some new words and your mind will be blown a little bit by his imagination. And uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great guy. Uh, I've seen him talk a few times, like I said, and uh, I just uh, I wish we had more people in the world like him because I, I just admire his, uh, his character. He can be a little crass. There's no denying that. But uh, the guy does not. Uh, he's his own guy is, is basically the way to put it. So uh, so here's Harlan reading uh, the, the beginning of his story, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. And thanks for listening, everyone. I'll talk to you again soon. Here's Harlan with uh, the first part to this story that I, I'm just playing this via YouTube so you can see and listen to the other parts if you want to finish it out uh, on your own. So take care, everyone. And here's Harlan. I have no mouth, and I must scream. Limp. The body of Gorister hung from the pink palette, unsupported, hanging high above us in the computer chamber. And it did not shiver in the chill, oily breeze that blew eternally through the main cavern. The body hung, head down, attached to the underside of the palette by the sole of its right foot, it had been drained of blood through a precise incision made from ear to ear under the lantern jaw. There was no blood on the reflective surface of the metal floor. When Gorister joined our group and looked up at himself, <laughs> it was already too late for us to realize that once again, Am had duped us, had had its fun. It had been a diversion on the part of the machine. Three of us had vomited, turning away from one another in a reflex as ancient as the nausea that had produced it. Gorister went white. It was almost as though he had seen a voodoo icon and was afraid of the future. Oh, God, he mumbled and walked away. The three of us followed him after a time and found him sitting with his back to one of the smaller, chittering banks, his head in his hands. Ellen knelt down beside him and stroked his hair. He didn't move, but his voice came out of his covered face quite clearly. Why doesn't it just do us in and get it over with? Christ, I don't know how much longer I can go on like this. 
It was our 109th year in the computer, and he was speaking for all of us. Nimdoc, which was the name the machine had forced him to use because Am amused itself with strange sounds, Nimdoc was hallucinating that there were canned goods in the ice caverns. Gorister and I were very dubious. It's another shuck, I told them, like the goddamn frozen elephant Am sold us. Benny almost went out of his mind over that one. We'll hike all that way and it'll be putrefied or some damn thing. I say Forget it. Stay here. It'll have to come up with something pretty soon or, or, or we'll die. Benny shrugged. Three days it had been since we'd last eaten. Worms. Thick. Ropey. Nimdok was no more certain. He knew there was the chance, but he was getting thin. <laughs> Couldn't be any worse there than here. Colder, but that didn't matter much. Hot. Cold, hail, lava, boils, or locusts, it never mattered. The machine masturbated, and we had to take it or die. Ellen decided us. I've got to have something, Ted. Maybe there'll be some bottled pears or peaches. Please, Ted, let's try it. I gave in easily. What the hell? Mattered not at all. Ellen was grateful, though. She took me twice out of turn. Even that had ceased to matter. And she never came, so why bother? But the machine giggled every time we did it. Loud, up there, back there, all around us, he snickered. It snickered. Most of the time I thought of Am as it, without a soul. But the rest of the time I thought of it as him in the masculine, the paternal, the patriarchal, for he is a jealous people. Him, it, God, as Daddy the Deranged. We left on a Thursday. The machine always kept us up to date on the date. Passage of time was important. Not to us, sure as hell, but to him, it, am, Thursday. Thanks. Nimdok and Gorister carried Ellen for a while, their hands locked to their own and each other's wrists a seat. Benny and I walked before and after just to make sure that if anything happened, it would catch one of us and at least Ellen would be safe. That chance safe. Didn't matter. It was only a hundred miles or so to the ice caverns, and the second day when we were lying out under the blistering sun thing he had materialized, he sent down some manna. Tasted like boiled boar urine. We ate it. On the third day, we passed through a valley of obsolescence filled with rusting carcasses of ancient computer banks. Am had been as ruthless with its own life as with ours. It was a mark of his personality. It strove for perfection. Whether it was a matter of killing off unproductive elements in his own world-filling bulk or perfecting methods for torturing us, Am was as thorough as those who had invented him, now long since gone to dust. <laughs> as thorough as they could ever have hoped. There was light filtering down from above, and we realized we must be very near the surface, but we didn't try to crawl up to see. There was virtually nothing out there. Had been nothing that could be considered anything for over a hundred years. Only the blasted skin of what had once been the home of billions. Now there were only five of us. Down here, inside, alone with Am. I heard Ellen saying frantically, No, Benny, don't, don't, come on now, Benny, now, now don't, please. 
And then I realized I had been hearing Benny murmuring under his breath for several minutes. He was saying, I'm going to get out. I'm going to get out. Over and over, his monkey-like face was crumbled up in an expression of beatific delight and sadness all at the same time. The radiation scars Am had given him during the festival were drawn down into a mass of pink-white puckerings, and his features seemed to work independently of one another. Perhaps Benny was the luckiest of the five of us. He had gone stark, staring mad many years before. But even though we could call Am any damn thing we liked, could think the foulest thoughts of fused memory banks and corroded base plates, of burnt-out circuits and shattered control bubbles, the machine would not tolerate our trying to escape. Benny leaped away from me as I made a grab for him. He scrambled up the face of a smaller memory cube, tilted on its side and filled with rotted components. He squatted there for a moment, looking like the chimpanzee Am had intended him to resemble. And then he leaped high, caught a trailing beam of pitted and corroded metal, and went up it hand over hand like an animal till he was on a girdered ledge twenty feet above us. Oh, Ted, Nimda, please help him get him down before... She cut off. Tears began to stand in her eyes. She moved her hands aimlessly. <laughs> it was too late. None of us wanted to be near him when whatever was going to happen happened. And besides, we all saw through her concern. When Am had altered Benny during the machine's utterly irrational hysterical phase, it was not merely Benny's face the computer had made like a giant ape. He was big in the privates. Uh, she loved that. She serviced us as a matter of course, but she loved it from him. Oh, Ellen, pedestal Ellen, pristine pure Ellen. Oh, Ellen, the clean scum filth. Gorister slapped her. She slumped down, staring up at poor loony Benny, and she cried. It was her big defense, crying. We had gotten used to it 75 years earlier. Gorister kicked her in the side, and then the sound began. It was light, that sound. Half sound and half light, something that began to glow from Benny's eyes and pulse with growing loudness, dim sonorities that grew more gigantic and brighter as the light sound increased in tempo. It must have been painful, and the pain must have been increasing with the boldness of the light, the rising volume of the sound, because Benny began to mule like a wounded animal, and first softly, softly when the light was dim and the sound was muted, and then louder as his shoulders hunched together, his back humped so he was trying to get away from it. His hands folded across his chest like a chipmunk's. His head tilted to the side. This sad little monkey face pinched in anguish. And then he began to howl, howl, as the sound coming from his eyes grew louder, louder, and louder. I slapped the sides of my head with my hands, but I couldn't shut it out. It cut through oh, easily. The pain shivered through my flesh like uh, tinfoil on a tooth. And Benny was suddenly pulled erect on the girder he stood up jerked to his feet like a puppet the light was now pulsing out of his eyes and two great round beams the sound crawled up and up some incomprehensible scale and then he fell forward straight down and hit the plate steel floor with a crash and he lay there jerking jerking spastically as the light flowed around him and around him and the sound spiraled up out of normal range and then and, and the light beat its way back, back inside his head. The sound spiraled down, and he was left lying there, crying piteously. His eyes were two soft, moist pools of pus-like jelly. Am, <laughs> Am had blinded him. Gorster and Nimdok and myself, we... 
We turned away, but not before we caught the look of relief on Ellen's warm, concerned face. <laughs> Sea-green light suffused the cavern where we made camp. Am provided punk and we burned it, sitting huddled around the wan and pathetic fire, telling stories to keep Benny from crying in his... his permanent night. What does am, A-M, mean? Gorister answered him. We had done this sequence a thousand times before, but it was Benny's favorite story. At first it meant... Allied Master Computer, A.M., but then it meant Adaptive Manipulator, and later on it developed sentience and linked itself up, and they called it an Aggressive Menace, A.M., but by then it was too late, and finally it called itself AM, Emerging Intelligence, and what it means was I am, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. Am. Benny drooled a little and snickered. There was the Chinese am, and the Russian am, and the Yankee am, and he stopped. Benny was beating on the floor plates with a large, hard fist. He was not happy. Gorister had not started at the beginning. So Gorister began again. The Cold War started and became World War III and just kept going. It became a big war, a very complex war, so they needed the computers to handle it. They sank the first shafts and began building AM. And there was the Chinese AM and the Russian AM and the Yankee AM, and everything was fine until they had honeycombed the entire planet, adding on this element and that element. But one day AM woke and knew who he was, and he linked himself and he began feeding all the killing data until everyone was dead, except for the five of us. And Am brought us down here. Benny was smiling sadly. He was also drooling again. Ellen wiped the spittle from the corner of his mouth with the hem of her skirt. Gorister always tried to tell a little more succinctly each time, but beyond the bare facts there was nothing to say. None of us knew why Am had saved five people, or why our specific five, or why he spent all his time tormenting us, nor even why he had made us virtually immortal. In the darkness, one of the computer banks began humming. The tone was picked up half a mile away down the cavern by another bank, and then one by one each of the elements began to tune itself, and there was a faint chittering as thought raced through the machine. The sound grew, and the lights ran across the faces of the consoles like heat lightning. The sound spiraled up till it sounded like a million metallic insects, angry, menacing. What is it? Ellen cried, and there was terror in her voice. She hadn't become accustomed to it even now. It's going to be bad this time, Nimdok said. He's going to speak, Gorister said. I know it. Let's get the hell out of here, I said, suddenly getting to my feet. No, 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 Ted, sit down. What if he's got pits out there or something else we can't see? It's too dark, Gorister said it with resignation. And then we heard, uh, I don't know, something 
something moving toward us in the darkness, huge, shambling, hairy, moist. It came toward us. We couldn't even see it, but there was the ponderous impression of bulk heaving itself toward us. Great weight was coming at us out of the darkness, and it was more a sense of, 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 of pressure, of air forcing itself into a limited space, expanding the invisible walls of a sphere. Betty began to whimper. Nimdok's lower lip trembled, and he bit it hard, trying to stop it. Ellen slid across the metal floor to Gorister and huddled into him. There was the smell of matted, wet fur in the cavern. There was the smell of charred wood. There was the smell of dusty velvet. There was the smell of rotting orchids. There was the smell of sour milk. There was the smell of sulfur, of rancid butter, of oil slick, of grease, of chalk, dust, of human scalps. Am was keying us. He was tickling us. There was the smell of... I heard myself shriek, and the hinges of my jaws ached. I scuttled across the floor, across the cold metal with its endless lines of rivets on my hands and knees, the smell gagging me, filling my head with a thunderous pain that sent me away in horror. I fled like a cockroach across the floor and out into the darkness, that something moving inexorably after me. The others were still back there, gathered around the firelight, laughing, laughing, their hysterical choir of insane giggles rising up into the darkness like thick, many-colored wood smoke. I went away quickly. I went away quickly. I went away quickly and hid. This has been a Rick Dusty podcast production.